0: Welcome to the Newtown Business Association's Business School Podcast. Our goal is to help you make the most of your business by providing you with information and advice from fellow NBA members. I'm your host, Rodney Warner. Welcome to the NBA Business School Podcast. I'm your host, Rodney Warner, and today's guest is Susan Markham. She's the founder of Awakening, which is a coaching and consulting business, and she works on business and life coaching. Thank you for joining us, Susan.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Rodney.
0: And today's topic is trying to reach a work and life balance In your life, which of course all of us want. There are times when we want more money and more work. And there are other times when we'd like more time and more life. So it's it's definitely a struggle, I think, especially now since so many of us back in the day, work was someplace else and we could go somewhere and that would be work. And we'd come home and that was our home and that was our life. But now increasingly, everything's under one roof. Yeah, And and I don't think it's, it's ever been stretched like this ever before. Why don't we start with the basics? What's considered work? You know, when you
1: mentioned to me that we'd be talking about work-life balance, my first go-to source before I teach or coach or even just, you know, come up with topics for myself, first go-to place is the dictionary. So what is the standard definition So the definition in Webster's work is an activity of either mental or physical effort done to achieve a particular purpose or result. So said concisely, it's a mental or physical activity that will give some sort of an outcome and hopefully an income too. The non-traditional, if you'd ask me what I think work is, I would say it's putting an effort into something that fulfills an aspect of yourself as a human being fulfills your purpose, fulfills your skill utilization, some aspect of what you can bring to the party to make a difference. Okay. That's what I would say work is.
0: What qualifies as life?
1: So life, I think the dictionary would describe it as the period between birth and death. That's a very clinical definition or the actual existence Of some sort of form of energy. The non-traditional I would say what people talk about what gives you life, so what gives you vitality, what gives you energy, what gives you vigor, what lights you up, or again coming back to the overlay with work, what gives you purpose, what fulfills your purpose. So there's the synergy, but then also to your point, therein lies the problem that the lines are blurred and it's harder to separate work from life now that we're under one roof, as you said.
0: Some of us have awesomely fulfilling jobs and maybe we get that life-affirming energy.
1: Well, the Buddhists say that there is no difference between work and play in an ideal world. When you're working, the experience is one of playing. And when you're playing, the experience is one of putting effort into your play. Work hard, play hard kind of concept.
0: So how do you decide how much of each do you want? How much life do you want? How much work do you want? what's a good way to decide? I
1: came up with this process many years ago called the front of the journal, the back of the journal. And you can separate it into two categories, your longings and discontents. So where do I wish something were different? Where am I unsatisfied with the way things are? Much simpler, the front of the journal is everything you would love in an ideal balance of work and life. And in the back of the journal, It's everything that irritates you, that frustrates you, that if you were to design your life, you would say, I don't want any parts of that. So starting with really being truthful with yourself, do you wish you had more accountability, more responsibility, more tasks to do, more work, so to speak, Some people really crave having a high level of work or as you mentioned earlier, do you want more freedom to live your life away from work, travel, family, just relaxing, reading, things like that. So you need to assess with the front of the book, back of the book and really ask yourself, do I jump out of bed on Monday through Friday with the same enthusiasm that I do on Saturday and Sunday? And if not, what's the difference? What's missing or what's there?
0: So how do you achieve this balance?
1: While you're doing the front of the book, the back of the book, what will become very, very evident and will kind of emerge naturally, organically, is your why. There's a lot of, you know, talk these days, the buzzword of creating your why. But people truly are coming in touch with you know what's the point? What am I here for? What is my purpose in life, especially now when so many people had had to do a complete three sixty on what they thought would be the outcome at this point in their life, and where they're at now, they may need to start over or they may need to adjust, creating boundaries, et cetera. So there's three steps that I recommend to achieve that balance. Number one, you assess for yourself what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Front of the book, this is what I'd love in a perfect environment. Back of the book, this is not okay. Then the second thing is you need to communicate this broadly to the people that you work with and for. So I'll give you a brief example. When I first started working at my last company, all of the coaches had an internal coach. And I was brand new to the industry, and I'm a kind of night person, an owl, they call us. So 10, 11 o'clock at night, it's not unusual for me to be sending emails and communicating with people. My coach would ask me for documents at 10, 11 o'clock at night, and sure enough, I'd send them to her. And then one night, I just didn't feel like working late at night. And I noticed I started to kind of resent the fact that she kept expecting me to send these to her. And she would keep pinging me. I know you're on instant message. I can see your lights turned on. Why aren't you responding? And I thought, this is not okay. So I had trained her that it was acceptable to expect me to respond at 10, 11 o'clock at night. So the responsibility is on me to train my environment. So number one, be straight with yourself. Number two, communicate to those that you work with or work for And then number three is schedule everything and honor what you schedule. Schedule time to think. Schedule time to deal with emergencies. Even if the emergency doesn't happen at that exact time, you've got a buffer built in. Okay, that's for starters. I have other ideas, but that'll, I think, get the ball rolling.
0: You can save that for your paying customers. Let's say you're blessed with things are going okay. You're, you're feeling good. Both sides of your life seem in good shape. How do you keep one side from creeping into the other?
1: Number one, I think it's important to really take the time to assess. Assess The day that you have coming up, so every Monday night, I'll look at Tuesday. And then at the end of Tuesday, I look back on on the day on Tuesday and really determine, did I accomplish what I needed to accomplish? If not, rather than cramming it into Tuesday night, find another spot for it in my calendar within my work hours. Setting boundaries is critical, especially now that the lines are so blurred. And your office is three steps away instead of a commute, traffic no longer is the buffer. Or, you know, I got stuck in, in some road detour. That's no longer a buffer. So, making sure that you have boundaries and you're realistic in what you're saying yes to, and what you're saying maybe, and what you're saying no to. I never jump to say yes without checking my schedule first. So even if I think next week is fairly open between 1 and 3 most days, I won't say yes to someone if they ask for that time. I'll say let me get back to you. It it might be good, but let me get back to you and I make a commitment to get back by a certain point in time. The worst place to store any reminders is in your mind, and especially the busier you get the more you, you're keeping in your mental filing system. So keep a little booklet with you or your phone, anything to capture all the commitments that you make around work in the course of the day. And then you put them into your calendar every night so that your calendar is a direct reflection of what you're doing and what you're not doing. And give yourself some space to breathe. Take a walk in the middle of the day make sure to insert time because it may not come to you or naturally.
0: Of course, we're talking about more than just your boss. Well, like you yeah. gave in their example, most of us in the NBA, we, we own one kind of business or another. And really the boss is the client or the customer. The issue isn't, do I keep my job? It's, do I keep my business? Yeah. Does that dynamic really change anything or is it just a different cast of characters?
1: I think it's all your perspective. Or the common buzzword these days is mindset. If your mindset is, I need to do whatever I can to keep a client, I will jump through any hoops, I will make myself available 24-7, then the client will utilize you 24-7. And just as I started to build resentment, the resentment is really towards myself that I didn't establish the boundaries early on. So I think it's critical when you're engaging with a client or a potential client to establish up front, I am available between these hours by appointment or whatever your rules are. You make sure that you create rules that are workable for you. And then there's always the exception. If you have an emergency, text me. Be sure to be clear about what type of communication works best for you also. Because if you just say, email me, but you stop looking at your email at seven o'clock at night, then that emergency suddenly didn't get handled and you have a dissatisfied client. So it's really being so thorough and thinking through how would I want to be treated if I were my customer? If I were my client, what would I appreciate? What would I value? And what would I need in order to have a really rock solid work relationship?
0: I think there's always a constant churn of people switching jobs, switching careers. But I think now with COVID-19, there are whole industries that are really suffering. And on the other hand, there are some industries that are doing really well. So how does all this work if you're also doing a career or a job change? I've
1: had a lot of people come to me and say, I really was pretty advanced on my path, on my career path. And now another buzzword is pivot. So now I have to completely turn around and almost come in at the bottom of the ladder of the totem pole. What I think is important is to bring some aspect of curiosity, discovery, learning. Again, it's the way you think about it, how you approach something your perspective, or your mindset that's going to make the same opportunity occur completely differently for two people. The optimist will say, wow, I'm going to learn a whole new field. Maybe challenging, but wow, I'm going to grow and develop myself in ways I never thought I would. And the pessimist is going to say, oh man, I don't want to go through that. I already spent 20 years learning my trade. It's all here in your mind to craft or shape what your next step is going to look like. You know, they, they talk to great athletes and they say, I'll use football as an example. Someone throws a Hail Mary pass. There's nobody downfield. And suddenly a running back comes long and scoops up the ball and they go into the end zone and they score the winning touchdown. They ask the quarterback, did you rehearse that play? What happened? And nine times out of 10, the athlete will say, I envisioned it. So seeing it in your mind first, seeing it as possible, will then allow you to gravitate towards that rather than all the reasons why it's not a good idea. And you'll find those reasons. You'll always, what did Henry Ford say? If you think you you can or if you think you can't, you'll always prove yourself right.
0: You know, the reality is for many of us that for financial reasons, or maybe we have professional goals, we want to achieve certain success that we're probably leaning heavy on the work side and maybe a little lighter on the on the life side. For people who, who live like that, do you have any suggestions on how to make the most of the time they're spending on the life side that they're, you know, kind of carving away from? the time they spend at work?
1: You know, there are rules and we'll see things on sitcoms, on television, or hear of incidents. I walked into a meeting and they had a basket and I had to put my phone in the basket. And I've never sat through a two-hour meeting without my phone. And it kind of upset me and freaked me out a little bit because I didn't know what to do without my phone in case somebody needed me. But you know what? When you really look at what are true emergencies, and what are kind of constructed emergencies? Well, I just want to get it out of the way now so I don't forget about it tomorrow. That's not really an emergency. So number one, limit your time with your device. I would carry my laptop with me when I was the owl at my last job. My w- laptop would go into the living room with me after dinner. And then it would go into the bedroom at night when I was watching television and trying to have conversations with my husband, but one eye is on him and one eye is on my screen. So I made a practice of leaving my computer physically in my office and not checking my emails. And I've communicated to all the people in my life. If you need me after hours, text me, I'll answer texts. I won't answer emails. I'm not reliable. So the onus is on me to make sure that I check my text and I live up to leaving my devices for the most part in my office space. Another thing is really limit your access, turn your voicemail on, and limit your availability to your work friends and life and and personas. And let them know in an emergency, please text me. If this can wait until tomorrow, I'll get back to you by 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. And always give them a commitment. The third thing that I would say is really take time to take stock of what you're grateful for. Gratitude is a huge, huge player in the world today. I noticed when the pandemic started, instead of looking at all the things that were uprooted, that all the things that had changed, been disrupted, that I had a sense of loss about, I decided every morning to pick one thing that I was grateful for. And I remembered opening my refrigerator and it was full of food. And I thought, wow, all the people that either don't have food or can't get to a market, I am so grateful that I have sufficient food and and staples to keep me going. Find the gratitude. Look for it and express it. Share it with your family. Come up with family games, non-computerized. Anything that can get you out of the tech world and into the human connection world is what I would recommend. And get a coach and talk to your coach.
0: (laughs) We're recording this. It's mid-November 2020. We're kind of in this twilight zone. Pfizer announced that it looks like they have an effective vaccine against COVID-19. However, at the same time, the numbers are jumping dramatically as far as the number of people getting sick with COVID. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if either through some government order or just people using their common sense to just staying home more and staying away from more people. Do you think this kind of isolation makes dividing up your work and life life more difficult or easier?
1: Again, I think it depends on your perspective to a certain extent. On the other hand, I think it makes it more challenging for people who are in a relationship-based business. And I would venture to say that probably 75% or more of the world of, of you know economics is based on relationship. We do business with those we feel comfortable with, we trust, we feel safe with. That's been taken away from us, just the ability to go out and mingle with people freely, casually, unscheduled, unplanned, or scheduled large-scale events. Networking at NBA, it's very different to get on a Zoom call than it is to walk around a room and look somebody directly in the eye and read their body language fully, not just when the camera happens to spotlight them. So body language has been said to be 93% of communication. 7% is the content that we actually express. We're missing that 93% to a certain degree. So I, I think it's had a huge impact, mentally, emotionally, socially. There are what I call seven dimensions of health. And I think every one of them gets impacted. The economic, the environmental, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, they all are impacted by this new way of interacting with our fellow human beings. So we've got to get more creative about certain things. And then at the same time, provide something to take the place when you're feeling isolated, whether it's music, taking a walk in nature, playing with animals, kids, whatever you have available to you, utilize.
0: So Susan, if somebody wants to get in touch with you and yes. uh, hire your services, how yes. can they reach you?
1: Well, I have, LinkedIn is the best source of getting in touch with me. And uh, my telephone number, I, as I said, if you text me, say how you want to get in touch with me, um, how you'd like me to communicate my email. Do you want me to give you that information or it's in the NBA membership catalog? So you can find me there also.
0: Once again, thank everybody for uh, listening to the podcast. And we thank everyone for listening for prior ones. And hopefully you'll stick around and listen to future ones. Um, Until next time, this is Rodney Warner. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Newtown Business Association's Business School Podcast. You can learn more about the NBA and join the association at newtownba.org. That's www.newtownba.org.